afternoon we've come to the last two questions in the Heidelberg Catechism. Where we confess the following. How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. What does the word Amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain, for God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. After the sermon, we'll voice our Amen together by singing from Psalm 20. Psalm 20, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, now that we've gone through the Lord's Prayer once again, we're reminded of how important prayer is, and that when we are serious about prayer, we must also be busy in prayer. We pray for the preservation of the church. We pray that God's name would be honored, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done also in our lives, and that we would be willing to submit ourselves to him. We pray for protection from the temptation of Satan. We ask for growth in faith. We ask for the forgiveness of our sins, of our debts, and the strength to fight against sin. These petitions encompass a great deal. We're, we're actually asking for a lot, aren't we? And we might even ask ourselves, are we not being too brash in, in asking God for all of these things? Is the Lord really prepared to listen to us? There may be times in our life where we feel more like singing Psalm 102, as if God is far away and not listening. And we know that we certainly don't deserve for God to hear us. So should we really dare to pray? Should we dare also to expect that he listens and that he answers our prayer? Well, the answer to these questions, congregation, is a resounding yes. And that brings us to the theme for the sermon. Be assured that the Lord hears our prayers. We will hear that he wants to hear them, he can hear them, and he will hear them. Or we could also say it this way, he wants to answer our prayers, he can answer our prayers, and he will answer our prayers. When the Lord Jesus gave us the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer, it's as if he anticipated that we might be hesitant to pray. We already heard that in the address to our Father in Heaven. He teaches us to use the word Father because we might not otherwise feel very close to God. But we know that he is our father through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's also why there's the ending to the prayer. Because the Lord knows that we are weak and we're inclined to doubt. And that we often lack the confidence to pray. But he tells us to then add something to the end of our prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. In this way, the Lord Jesus reminds us that we have a great God. By adding this doxology to the end of the prayer, Jesus is telling us, see, 
and consider how great and mighty your God is. It's true, you have asked much of him, you need much of him, but he wants to hear this. He wants to hear this and he wants to give this to you. Why? Because he is your king, for his is the kingdom. He is a unique and eternal king, and his kingdom is unique. He's not like the other kings of the earth who die because they are created created from the dust of the earth. God is an eternal king. He is the everlasting God, and he outlives every other king and authority on earth, even those who stand up against them. He outlives all those who don't want to have anything to do with his commandments. He outlives all those government officials who, who are, in their, in their worldly wisdom, come up with terrible laws, support, supporting immoral and unjust laws. And he will be there long after every self-important president and prime minister is long gone. Our God is the eternal king and his kingdom is forever. But he's not only an eternal king, he's a unique king. He's unique because our God is a king who truly cares for his citizens. And he is able to care for them. We sang... Or Psalm 72 speaks about this, and I'm I'm quoting now from the book of praise. The helpless poor he will deliver and hear them when they call. For he, as great and gracious giver, has pity on them all. He saves them from oppressors greedy and hears their anguished cries. The blood of all the poor and needy is precious in his eyes. That's the kind of king we have, congregation. And from the prophet Isaiah, we know, for example, that this king is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And from Isaiah 11, we learn that he is not a respecter of persons. He does not give special privileges to those who are wealthy or influential. He's not interested in profiting from your citizenship. He's not interested in taking advantage of you or gaining an advantage from your loyalty. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 11, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. So it doesn't matter what your talents are, or whether you have a special handicap, or if you are underprivileged. He will treat you fairly and justly. Righteousness will be his belt, writes Isaiah, and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And he is also the king of peace, the king who brings peace, the king who will ensure that peace infiltrates his entire kingdom. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
you see, congregation, our king has a heart for his people. And we see the evidence of that in how he dedicates his life for his people. He has poured himself out for his people. He gave his life for us. And he displays this also in the bread and the wine that we get to eat when we attend the Lord's Supper. And he even guarantees that the bread and the wine applies to each one of us personally. And then we also have to remember that when the king dedicated his life for us, he did that, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, while we were still his enemies. Can you imagine a prime minister or a president doing that for you? Can you imagine a power-hungry king giving his life for his enemies? But the love of our king for his people is so great. He dedicated his life to us while we were still his enemies. And then he reconciled himself to us. He united himself to us. And if we have been reconciled by this king then he will most assuredly save and protect us too. Paul writes again in that chapter, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And so for this reason we have peace with this King, with our God and King, and we don't have to fear his wrath. On the contrary, on Because of this, we know ourselves to be safe. Safe in the hands of this everlasting king. And that's what this doxology in the Lord's Prayer teaches us. We have a king who is merciful and gracious. A perfectly wise and good king. He knows what's good for us. For each one of us. All the time. And he shows us by giving his commandments to live by. He gives us his word. That's what we can read about in Psalm 147. He sends out his word into this world. He makes his word known to us. He speaks to us through the preaching of God's word. That too is evidence of his care. He's not a king who just leaves you to yourself. No, he comes to you with his word. He speaks to you with his Holy Spirit. He even imprints his word on your hearts. And that means that when you leave a church service, the spirit of the king goes with you. He goes with you to help you fight against your own foolishness, against the sinful desires of your own old nature. He goes with you to help you to submit to his word. Our, our king congregation truly wants to help us. He wants to hear our prayers and he wants to answer them. That brings us to our second point. This gives us so much comfort and assurance that our Father in Heaven wants to hear our prayers. But that's not quite the same as knowing that He can answer our prayers. But the doxology of the Lord's Prayer also assures us that He can, for His is the power forever and ever. He is truly able to hear us and answer us. He is the king who has all the power. And his power also is eternal. People lose their strength 
By the time you're 50, you're not as strong as when you were 20. And by the time you're 80, you have less strength. And there's a limit to our endurance. And kings and princes and governments also lose their power. But the Lord has eternal power. And he is also eternally busy with his power to make his kingdom come. He is eternally busy making it real. And as we heard last week, there is no army of demons who can thwart him. Satan and his demons were cast out of heaven by Michael and his angels. And Psalm 93 tells us the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. And there might be kingdoms and kings on this earth who think they are mighty and they have all kinds of plans. They, can, they think they can make themselves strong. They might even have mighty armies. They might even accomplish a lot, but they are nothing compared to our king. He considers the nations but a drop in the bucket. He even laughs at them. Psalm 2 He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. You see, our God stands far above all other power, so far that we can't even measure it. All the powers in heaven and on earth are under his control. And more than that, congregation, he even uses those powers for his own purposes. Kings and governments and politicians might make all kinds of deals and plans and they may play politics. They may even invade other countries and start wars. But they are only pawns in the hands of Almighty God. And the Lord uses those things and he uses this power for his people. He uses his power, congregation, to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. He uses his power to advance his kingdom. And he holds us by the hand and he leads us through life. And when we fall, he picks us up. And when we can't walk anymore, he carries us. My dear brothers and sisters, the care that our king has for us is like a deep well that never runs dry. And this is our great comfort. It's where we get our assurance. According to Psalm 147, this is the God who builds Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He builds his church. It's a psalm that was likely written after Israel's exile to Babylon, perhaps even after they returned from Babylon. So it was written when a time when the church didn't look very big. It did, things didn't look so good. But the psalm speaks of restoration and redemption. When God's people are oppressed, when they are treated as outcasts, the Lord says, have courage. The psalm says, that's when we sing praises, exactly then, when things look bleak. When we're bowed under heavy burdens. Why? Because the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. See, the Lord is not ashamed to be the God of the little people. He is not ashamed to be God of the weak people, the helpless people, and the poor and the needy. The psalmist said he is not ashamed to send his word to Jacob and to lead them in the way of eternal life. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. Jacob was just a tiny nation compared to all the other nations in the world. You see then that our God not only is 
able and willing to hear our prayers, but that he truly wants to hear them and answer them. You see how he wants to be our God, the God of his children and the God of our children. He not only has the power to do it, but he also has the desire to do it. Our God even cares for his creation, for the earth. He makes the grass to grow on the hills. He gives food to the beasts and to the young ravens, the psalmist says. And if God cares so much for his creation, how much more does he not care for us? As Jesus said, God knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. How much more does he not care for you? That brings us to the third point. How do we know that God will certainly hear us and answer us? For his is the glory forever. That's why. The glory of God is the assurance of God's children. We know this because God has made a covenant with believers and their children. He has bound himself to us by his own word. And because he has done this, we may share in his glory And that is real assurance, congregation, because God's glory is also eternal. It is God's glory that his kingdom will come and is coming. It is God's glory that I submit myself to his will, that his kingdom comes increasingly in my heart. It is God's glory that I am a living member of the church. It is his glory when I resist temptation. And that is why God will hear our prayers. It is his glory to hear our prayers. For him, it is a matter of honor to hear and answer our prayers, congregation. So when we believe in him, we may pray, Lord, for your sake, for the sake of your honor, lead me and guide me and hear me. You see, when God dedicates his life to his children, he, he, he puts his own honor on the line. He puts his own glory on the line. If he would not answer our prayers, if he would not listen to our prayers, that would be a dishonor to him, and then he would no longer be God. If he did not answer our prayers, there would be nothing left of the church, would there? And our faith and our good works, there would be nothing left of all of that. But God is God, and he remains God. And since he has sworn by himself to be faithful to his covenant promises... He is always prepared to honor that oath. So for him to be faithful to his own people is a matter of his own honor and glory. And that's why we can believe that he hears and answers our prayers. We can even say that Christ paid dearly for God's honor and glory. When he was on earth, he bore for us the wrath of God against sin. And the wrath of God pressed out of him that bloody sweat in the garden of Gethsemane. And he let himself be bound like a criminal. And he allowed himself to be mocked and scorned and humbled even unto death. And he experienced the deepest anguish of hell, forsaken by God his Father. So that God would always be our God. So that the Lord would never have to forsake us. So that God would always hold us in his heart and close to him. So that the Father in heaven would always hear our prayers and answer our prayers. 
And for that reason, we can add the word Amen to the end of our prayers. The word Amen doesn't mean, well, that's just the end of our prayer. No. It's a word that guarantees our prayers. It's a seal on our prayers. It's a confession that we are saying, Lord, you are trustworthy and your word is trustworthy. And we ask these things of you because you have commanded us to do that. We ask everything that is necessary for body and soul. And we're not going to ask for more than that, not for more than what you have commanded. And so we willingly place ourselves, Lord, in your hands. Because we believe and confess you are trustworthy. You are the God who has dedicated himself to us. And you have shown that to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. You are completely trustworthy. All of that is locked up in that little word, Amen. That's a word that we come across in 2 Corinthians 1. We read that together just before the sermon. The relationship between Paul and the people in Corinth was strained. And Paul had had to change his plans. He had wanted to visit the people in Corinth but on his way to Macedonia, but he was prevented from doing so. So a lot of the people in Corinth thought, well, Paul's not a man of his word. But he tells them that this is not so. On the contrary, he assures them that he is very trustworthy. He's not wishy-washy. He's not claiming to say yes when he means no. He is trustworthy and dependable. Why? Well, he said, just consider my preaching. The word I preached to you has always been yes in Christ Jesus. Since the word I preached to you is based on the trustworthy promises of God. So Paul is appealing to the trustworthy promises of God. Promises which God kept. He has made all his promises come true in Jesus Christ. When he became a man. When he died for our sins. And when he rose again. Paul says when you look to Christ. You can You can only say amen. Then you can only say that God is faithful because Christ has fulfilled all of God's promises and we can rely on that. Our king and our high priest has has completely and fully given himself and dedicated himself so that we can trust him. And we can trust that he will use his power to see to it that we will receive everything that we need for body and soul, everything in this life and for the life to come. All that God has promised to us will certainly be fulfilled because our Lord Jesus Christ earned that privilege for us. And so now I may believe that because Christ has bought me with his precious blood, because I am his son or his daughter, he will hear my prayers. And so, brothers and sisters, what reason do we have to doubt the trustworthy care of our Father in heaven? None whatsoever. So then let's honor him. Honor him with our life. Honor him with a sincere amen at the end of our prayers. Not an amen that's just said out of custom or habit. Amen means, Lord, I believe you. I believe that you hear my prayers. I believe that you listen to me and you answer me. 
That is the assurance that we found in the, find in those words. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Brothers and sisters, then let's live by that assurance also in the coming week. Amen.